Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to conclude our series on spiritual gifts, and I want to kind of tie up the loose ends and answer, respond to questions that have been posed over the past few weeks. So hopefully this will just give us some final thoughts and understandings and uh, answer any questions you might have. We started the series with a quote from J.I. Packer, who identified the church as what? A busy anthill. A busy anthill. The, the picture is all the ants are working. Everybody's contributing. I thought that an, that a very, very apt analogy and he juxtaposed that analogy against one of a, of a bus loaded with passengers just sitting in the bus with one person driving, in a sense, doing all the work. Another anecdote most of us can remember and have heard was the football coach being asked in an interview what contribution college football or pro football makes to the American public. And he says, absolutely none. He says, in a football game, you have 50,000 people sitting in the stands desperately in need of exercise and 22 guys running around on the field desperately in need of rest. <laughs> the situation in that statement can really be a picture of the church in general in, the, in America. The church in general in America, many, many Christians have abandoned their God-given gifts and responsibilities really to their pastors and to requiring the pastors to do all the work rather than the people in the congregations picking up and, uh, and serving one another and serving their community. Our time together these past almost two months now have been really dedicated to this theme of spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are miraculous in the sense that God has graciously given gifts to each Christian, no matter how new you are. If you are born again, God has, by his Holy Spirit, given you gifts for the purpose of what? The purpose of ministry. The purpose of serving others. The purpose of bringing glory to Jesus. The purpose of building up the church. My hope is that each one of us have prayerfully considered what our gifts are, what our calling is, and quite frankly, what our ministry is. If you are a born-again Christian, you have a ministry. Do you know that? So you have to say, what is my ministry? What is my ministry? And ministries are manifold. But the point is that we have a ministry, each one of us. And that ministry is for the purpose of bringing Christ's glory and us serving one another. You recall Jesus' words in John chapter 10. He says, I did not come to be served, but rather to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So we are... We are people who are to live sacrificially. 
We're to live sacrificially for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. That is no exaggeration. That is the absolute truth. And that's always a challenge because the enemy always wants to defeat us. The enemy always wants to disable us and certainly to discourage us. So we're dead in the water and then we're not fulfilling the very purpose and mission that God has saved us for. Salvation is not just a fire escape. It's not just a way to heaven and beat, beat out hell. Salvation is much, much more. It's a transformation of a person's life into the likeness of Christ more and more. And as you become more and more like Jesus, you find yourself giving that life away more and more in service to others. Amen? Amen. Is that the truth? Do we agree on that? So in the discovery of our spiritual gifts, as we discern what our spiritual gifts are, we again want to use them for God's glory. Now let me just summarize again for you what are spiritual gifts. There's two words that the Apostle Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 1, he uses this word pneumatikos. He doesn't use the word gift actually in the text, in the Greek text, but he just says pneumatikos. It's spiritual things, if you will. And then there's a second word he uses in verse 4. That's the word charismata. It's a grace gift. So spiritual gifts, we combine those two terms. Spiritual gift is a divine ability given to each believer by the Holy Spirit on the basis of grace for the purpose of service. So you have to ask yourself continually, where am I serving? Where am I serving? What is the ministry that God has designed for me? Where do I fit in the body of Christ? That's a constant thing on our hearts and minds that we need to be rehearsing, encouraging one another. The gifts are to glorify God, they're to advance the cause of Christ in the church and in the world today. Should the church be a bright, bright light? Yeah, Jesus already tells us, he says, you are the light of the world. Not you will be, you are and. And the way that light shines is in how we do what? How we serve. How we exemplify the body of Christ. Jesus lived in one body when he was here for those three and a half years. Or 30 years. And now that he's ascended into heaven, he lives by his spirit in his church. So we are, in effect, the Bible tells us, we are the body of Christ here And we're to do the same kinds of things that Jesus did when he was here. Now, how many gifts are available to us? We don't really know. We don't really know how many gifts. We have some representative lists in the New Testament. Some some are even identified in the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 12, you have eight gifts listed. In Ephesians chapter 4, you have five gifts listed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have 13 gifts listed. But there are other passages that give hints about some other gifts that aren't listed in those formal lists. For instance, in James chapter 5 verse 16, and there's a companion verse in Luke chapter 11, there's a gift alluded to, the gift of intercession. 
There are people who have this ability, this divine ability, to intercede for people and situations as God would lead them. And this is their life. This is their ministry, a ministry of intercession. In Matthew chapter 19, and as well a companion passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's very possibly a gift of celibacy. A gift of celibacy. That's something that is enjoined and embraced with all joy. People sometimes ask me, Pastor, do I have the gift of celibacy? If you have to ask me, then you have a problem. You don't have the gift of celibacy. In Acts chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there is a gift of martyrdom. That is a one-time gift. In Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 10, you have very possibly a gift of missionary. The lists are not comprehensive, as I mentioned. Paul, when he writes to the Romans, doesn't include all the gifts that he does when he writes to the Corinthians. So the gift, the lists that we have are largely representative. In the Old Testament, there's a man by the name of Bezalel. And God tells Moses that he's gifted this man. In Exodus 31, verse 3, he says, I have filled him with the Holy Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. And I wonder, based on that, if in fact there aren't people today who are gifted by the Holy Spirit in all kinds of ways that we would not traditionally think. Maybe in the field of painting, building, designing, writing, worship, any number of gifts that can be used. And here's the test. They're used for the glory of God, not self-aggrandizement. Now look how great I am. I'm not on display but they're always used and acknowledged for the glory of God and the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Now, how can I tell whether or not it's a gift from God? How can I tell whether this thing that I'm exercising is a gift from God? What's the final test? What's the definition? For the purpose of what? Service and glorifying God. That's a real test. Am I truly serving somebody serving some people, or am I not? That is the test. Are all Christians to function in some of the gifts listed? What do you think? Yes, yes. We are all commanded in Scripture as Christians. There are certain things that we're all supposed to be doing. Is that a fair statement? You may not have a gift of evangelism. There are people who are gifted. Billy Graham is gifted in that gift. Would you agree? I knew a man years ago who had a gift to lead people to Christ, not necessarily in large assemblies and groups, but his his gift functioned on a one-on-one basis. And he was absolutely amazing how he could do this. I one time was with him, and we were at a, a, a conference and uh, a pastor's conference where pastors talk about pastor stuff. We just talk about pastor stuff. And so he was, we were in an elevator. We're going from like the seventh or eighth floor of this building down to the ground floor. 
And uh, there were a number of people on the elevator. And one particular man, he turned to the man, blew me away, turned to the man. Between the, the seventh floor and the first floor, he led him to the Lord. Didn't know the guy. It was just amazing. You talk about a gift. Absolute gift. So we're still to evangelize, though, aren't we, even if we don't have a gift? We still share our faith with people? Absolutely. What about the gift of generosity? Is there such a spiritual gift? Yeah, Paul talks about it in Romans. But though you may not have the gift of generosity, as a Christian, should you be generous? Absolutely. It's the same, same principle. How about the gift of encouragement? Should we be encouraging one another even if we don't have that spiritual gift? Daily. Daily. How about the gift of helps? What if you don't have the gift of helps? Should you be a help to others in need as they're presented to you in your course of your life? Yes. So all are to function in some of the areas listed as gifts. And for the sake of clarification, let me describe these functions as Christian roles, as apart from gifts. So you, you may or may not be gifted in an area, but all of us fulfill these roles. Am I making sense? You tracking with me? However, we will have spiritual gifts, certain, certain particular things that God uses, uses through us mightily. Now, I want to walk you through some questions, some issues, some things that have come up over the past few weeks that I've had visibility of. Let me talk to you about four things that gifts are not, because there's some confusion on the part of some. First of all, spiritual gifts are not, as I described a moment ago, they're not the same as Christian roles. Roles are areas in which all believers are to function. We all have the same roles to play in serving the Lord. But we also have differing gifts given to us by him. Spiritual gifts are not a talent. There's some confusion there. Natural talents, of course, are given also by God. And these talents are given to us when? At puberty? No, they're given to us at birth. We're born with them. When we dedicate our kids to the Lord, as as part of our liturgy, if you will, part of our prayer always is that, God, you would give the parents the ability to be students of their children so they can recognize how you have prepared those kids, how you've gifted them, what are their talents and abilities so that we as parents can draw those things out and help those kids fulfill that aspect of their life. Does that make sense? And so they're not talents, not natural talents. Spiritual gifts come directly through the work of the Holy Spirit and are given to us Not at birth, but at our rebirth, when we are born again. The question also has come up, does a talent become a spiritual gift when we become a Christian? So let's say I have have the ability, the talent, the natural talent to do this, maybe be a teacher. So now does that natural talent become a spiritual gift when I become a Christian, when I become born again. Not necessarily so. A teacher will will naturally communicate information 
communicate facts. But that's not necessarily a guarantee that it'll inspire, that gift will inspire spiritual blessings and spiritual growth in another person. The flip side is true also. Never having taught anyway, you may, God may just sovereignly gift you with the gift of teaching. And you may have never taught ever in your life that you know about. So do you see that? So don't, you know, because you're a good teacher doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be your spiritual gift. Use your, use your natural talent to teach. But if it's not really producing good spiritual fruit, it's probably not a spiritual gift and probably not has been endowed that way. Thirdly, spiritual gifts are not the same as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Again, I've encountered some questions and confusion about that. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul, Paul tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. If you, if you walk with the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh, but you'll give evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And he identifies the fruit of the Spirit by nine qualities. What are the qualities? How many know the fruit of the Spirit? Just say them out loud. Everybody say them out loud. Okay, very good. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. These are nine qualities. One doesn't have the gift of love or the gift of joy or the gift of peace. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit and are expected of all Christians. All Christians are to demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with me? You see, because the fruit of the Spirit evidences our character. The fruit of the Spirit evidences our character. The gifts of the Spirit evidence our function. Big difference between the two. Character and function. Lastly, spiritual gifts are not a counterfeit from Satan. If there is a true, real thing, there's always going to be a counterfeit there's going to be a fake and so you have to know that the devil is going to try to deceive and discourage Christians in fact Jesus tells us that false Christs and false prophets will appear and they will in fact perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible so you can expect counterfeits to come along and over the years, I've seen lots of counterfeits. I've seen lots of, of, of people who just are just not good people, if you will, in professing faith. You remember Moses? As Moses was performing miracles to testify to God's word and his truth to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's magicians were doing what? They were copying those, weren't they? And by what power were they copying them, do you think? I think, reality, if you believe that old unseen realm, and you believe that there is a real personal devil, that power had to be by the force of devil, because these people were, uh, they were godless, cultic magicians. The question then becomes, how do we discern which gifts, which miracles really are from God? How do we discern? Is there a test? What do you think? Yeah, do they glorify, right, do they glorify Jesus? 
Or do they glorify the person? It's an important distinction that we must be able to discern and to make. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus. He came to glorify Christ. And true gifts will do the same. Jesus' own testimony in John's Gospel in chapter 16 said, He, meaning the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That's his whole work, is to bring glory to Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to make him known. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Now, second question. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 7, the Apostle Paul tells us, the gifts are given for the common good. Again, he plays off the analogy of the human body with many parts, and all parts work together for the common good. And so the same principle holds true in the church. And he gifts us for the common good. In Peter's passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter reminds us, each one of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others. Again, it goes to the issue of the common good, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So the primary purpose is to edify, to build up others, not to edify ourselves or for our own self-glorification. Rather, these gifts are given so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up and Christ glorified. Now, indirectly, as we function in our giftings and we see fruit being produced, we see lives changed, we see the church being motivated and encouraged and enhanced, we should rejoice, shouldn't we? Amen. Because of God's grace to us and allowing us to participate with him in what he is doing. What a privilege it is to function in your giftedness and to begin to see fruit develop from that. What would you think of the person who, in the ministry, was given a substantial sum of money? And that money was dedicated to that person for the purpose of some specific ministry. And rather than devoting that money to that ministry, that person took the money and hid it, or worse yet, spent it on themselves. What would you think of that person? Are they a godly person? Are they trustworthy? Would you be embarrassed by them? Would you think, my gosh, how could you do something like that? You've been entrusted with this trust and you've squandered it or you've hidden it. You betrayed your trust. I submit to you, in the same way, people bury their spiritual gifts. They hide their spiritual gifts. They don't demonstrate and function in their spiritual gifts. And they rob the body. They rob the church. For the church to work best, each one of us needs to serve in a place that utilizes our particular gift. It's just very simple. Each member of the body of Christ, again, has a special ministry. 
You have to be able to answer that question. What is my ministry? What is my ministry? Now, God will not give you a ministry without first equipping you. He'll always equip you. And the realization of this is by this thing called faith, isn't it? I read it in your book. Okay, you promised. You said you've given, you've given me a gift. You've given me visibility of something. You put something in my heart. I, I can't get it out of my head, but I don't feel competent. You know what? You may not be competent in and of yourself, but you step out in faith and you begin to make some efforts, however feeble from your vantage point or maybe somebody else's vantage point. But nonetheless, you discover and discern, hey, I am really gifted in this area. God gives us trailheads to go explore. But you explore it not based on your own competence. You explore that trailhead based on faith that God has given you this avenue to go search out. Now, how do the gifts actually operate? How do the gifts actually operate? Spiritual gifts are not just for spiritual giants. Sometimes we get, we get this idea in our minds that, that you know, they're just for spiritual giants and these people are gifted and they can do all these things. Let me give you an example of seven spiritual gifts functioning in a very, very common environment. Imagine, if you will, a mini church. In that mini church, it's a potluck. How many know what a potluck is? Okay. So you have a mini church potluck, and you have seven members of that mini church, each with a separate, unique gift. Someone comes in late to the potluck with the dessert, stumbles, trips, the dessert falls on the floor and is lost. You got the picture? Okay, now, let me ask you to respond. So you have a person with the gift of prophecy in that mini church. When the dessert is spilled on the floor, what do you think the person with the gift of prophecy, how would that person respond? I knew that was going to happen. You also have a person with the gift of giving. How would that person respond? I'll be happy to buy a brand new dessert. How about the person with the gift of teaching? <laughs> this is a delicate one, huh? Let me teach you how not to drop the dessert. How about the gift of exhortation? Someone with the gift of exhortation. How would that person respond to this event? How would they exhort? They would probably say something like, let's, let's, uh, let's come earlier and bring the dessert and have the dessert with the meal. Rather than coming late and rushing. How about a person with the gift of administration? Yeah. Uh, Sue, would you help and, and, and right, make sure that everything is taken care of? 
How about the person with the gift of helps? How would they respond? That's an easy one, huh? Well, let me help you clean up. Then, of course, you have the person with the gift of mercy. How would that person respond? Don't feel badly. It could have happened to any one of us. Oh, right? So you just, that, that's a simple illustration of how the gifts may function. And remember, the gifts are not for spiritual giants. They're for each and every one of us. And you can see how a, an event like that that happens, everybody comes together, everybody plays a role, everybody plays a part. Now, there are seven facts concerning the distribution of gifts. It's important to know. First one, everybody has at least one gift. Everybody has at least one gift. The second fact, you may have more than one gift. You, have, you may have what I call a gift mix. Maybe one dominant gift and some supportive gifts. Number three, you'll not have all the gifts. People have asked that question. Well, should we as Christians have all? Don't we have all the gifts? No, no. Remember the Apostle Paul says, all are not apostles, all are not teachers, and so forth. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Fourthly, your gift is absolutely essential to the official, to the efficient functioning of the body of Christ. Absolutely essential. Every member of the body is critical to the overall health and well-being and functioning of the body of Christ. Number five, each gift can be used for different ministries. Paul says in verse five of 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. One ministry is not better than another. You don't get jealous over somebody else's ministry. Your ministry is absolutely critical, and you're gifted for that particular ministry. Number six, each gift will have different effects. Verse six of 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, and there are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. You can have the same gift of teaching in different people. And that gift would evidence itself in, in just for instance, a mother may have a gift of teaching and she can teach her kids marvelously. Or you have the gift of evangelism. As I mentioned earlier in my illustration, you can, you can, you can evangelize one-on-one -on -one terrifically, but you're lousy in a large crowd. You're fruitless. And so you can have different effects in those gifts of the same gift, but it works differently in different environments. And that's where you, as a Christian, begin to experiment and see where you function best. I do not have the gift of evangelism. I have tried one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, large groups. I do not have the gift of evangelism. But that doesn't mean I still don't evangelize. I still don't share my faith. I still do. Greater effect, by the way, doesn't mean that a person is more spiritual. We don't measure spirituality by effect. It's an important distinction. 
No one is more spiritual because of their gift, because of the type of ministry that God has given them, or the effects of that ministry. Point number seven, the distribution of gifts, the distribution of ministries, the distribution of effects of those ministries are totally given by the sovereign work of who? Our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? It's the Godhead. Everything is the result of God at work in us. We take no claim, no credit. Our job is simply to be faithful with what we've been entrusted. All God expects from us is that we be faithful. Someone asked me, how long do we keep our gifts? How long do we keep our gifts? Most likely for life. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. I had a question Friday night. Uh, somebody asked me, well, how about, how about we go to heaven? Are we still going to have our gifts? When the perfect comes, the imperfect will be done away. We won't need our gifts. We'll be fully, fully there in every sense of the word. Okay? Some, some may allow their gift to be dormant. As I mentioned earlier, Paul tells Timothy not to neglect his gift. Not to neglect his gift. In fact, in his second letter to Timothy, he tells him to fan it into a hot flame. So whatever a gift is, don't neglect it. Fan it. Stir it up. Utilize it. Because one day we're all going to stand before him, one day. He can say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the time I gave you? What did you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with the gifts I gave you? There is a time of accountability. What does that mean, I lose my salvation? No, but you lose rewards. Well, I don't care about rewards. I just want to get into heaven. You should care about rewards because those rewards we use as an act of worship. We lay them at his feet as evidence of a life of faithfulness that brings him glory even there in heaven. We should care about those things. Would you agree? Now we can abuse our spiritual gifts. Let me give you four ways spiritual gifts can be abused. First one is forbid their use. Some people and or denominations have explained away spiritual gifts, especially the more miraculous ones, that the gifts died out when the apostles died. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. I don't subscribe to that. I believe the gifts are fully functioning even today. The second way we can abuse them is through gift projection. And that's simply that we, we admire someone else's gift and we want that gift for ourselves and we ignore or neglect our gift. We project onto ourselves somebody else's gift. You can, you can read uh, biographies of great saints and they're inspiring and they're encouraging. But sometimes someone reading that material can can say, I want to emulate that person and I want that gift and I'm going to try to give evidence of that gift in my life. When in fact, you may not have been gifted that way. Am I making sense? 
There's another way you can abuse spiritual gifts. That's over-specialization. When in fact you, you just simply refuse to function in the roles that scripture requires for every one of us because that's not your gift. I've had people actually tell me this. I'd say, can you help over here? Well, that's not my gift. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're all supposed to help. By the way, this afternoon, if you can help us stuff eggs in the youth center, one o'clock. That's not my gift, stuffing eggs. A fourth way is disorderly use. Disorderly use. We already saw Paul saying everything should be done in a fitting and orderly manner. The church should not be chaos in action. We don't do well when things are chaotic and out of order. One of our mini church pastors shared with me that uh, there were some people in the mini church that were saying, well, the church I came from and we, everybody was gathering, we were all prophesying and speaking in tongues and, and it was glorious. No, it was chaotic. No one was being edified. It was just a display of disorder. And a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic churches succumb to that tragically. So everything's be done in an orderly manner. When the church is gathered together, we're to function as a unit, all of us in our gifts. The church is to be a worshiping choir, not a, a thousand soloists at the same time. And then there are some wrong attitudes towards gifts. The first one would be arrogant pride. You're gifted in an area and you find yourself arrogantly prideful about it, but you don't even realize you are. I had occasion a number of years ago to confront a very, very well-known pastor and Bible teacher. And uh, my wife and I were out to dinner in Santa Monica. We had been invited by a member of our church who, who was a food server and said, Would you, why don't you come and I'll be happy to take care of you. So we went to dinner. It was beautiful. And in the course of dinner, I'm looking across the room and I see a, I see a, a man that I recognize. And I thought, well, that's... Then I looked again and I noticed he was with a woman who was not his wife. And there had been rumors around his life that he was less than faithful. And so I thought, oh my. And I didn't say anything I waited until the next day. I called him on the phone. And I said, you know, um, he knew who I was. And I said, you know, I was in the restaurant last night and I saw you. And I saw you with another woman who's not your wife. And he, well, I was just ministering. Really? It was awfully intimate ministering. I said, you know what, you need to repent. And I know that there's rumors around your life about this kind of stuff. You need to repent. You need to step down and disqualify yourself from public ministry until you get your life in order. To which he responded, well, you, I suppose you want me to just go quit the ministry and pump gas. Would be a bad idea. 
Well, what about the thousands and thousands of people who've been influenced by my ministry and have come to know Jesus? I thought, I said to him, well, that certainly removes God from that responsibility, doesn't it? It's God who saves. You don't save. But you're a stumbling block to those who know you and have observed your foolishness. To which he hung up. So be careful about succumbing to arrogant pride. We are all subject to the sin of pride. You know that. It's ever present with us. Pride, pride, pride. Number two, wrong attitude be feeling superior. If you look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 and 22 with me, you see this played out. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Be careful of feeling superior. Also, be careful of false humility. There are people who just, oh, shucks. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what my gift is. And they evidence what we could describe as simply false humility. I think all of us understand what that looks like. Feeling inferior is another wrong attitude. And again, in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Because your gifting isn't big and flashy doesn't mean that you're not also absolutely necessary to the body. Don't feel inferior. Number five, looking for an experience or some excitement. Ooh, ooh. Don't forget Jesus' words that an adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. Our flesh loves to be tentilated. We love to be excited about stuff. Oh, people say, oh, wasn't the spirit moving? The spirit is always moving. Not just when the singing is loud and the music is loud. The spirit is always moving. Number six, being discouraged if you can't discern or identify your gift. Don't give up. If you haven't discerned it, keep trying. Ask for help. This is why you have a mini church. You go to your mini church, you tell people, I'm not sure what my gift is because anybody help me. And I promise you, in a mini church, that's a place where you get to be known as well as knowing others and you will gain insight into yourself if you're willing to be open to people's feedback. Number seven, as I mentioned earlier, another, another example of gift projection, projecting someone else's gift or ministry onto yourself. And lastly, let me give you some proper attitudes towards spiritual gifts. Number one, 
Be content with whatever God has given you. Whatever gift he's given you, he knows best. He's placed the parts of the body in the body where they fit. Be content. Be content with what God has given you. Number two, be humble. Remember, these are grace gifts. They're given to us on the basis of God's grace, not our merit. So be humble. Number three, be Holy Spirit powered. Trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, not your own flesh to make something happen. You exercise your gift. If nothing happens, the temptation is going to be for you to try to embellish. You try to work harder, make something work. How many times have you prayed and nothing changed? So you say, all right, pray harder. Praying harder is not the issue. It's faithfully praying. Jesus says, just keep asking, keep asking. He's talking about persistence. You don't have to pray harder. You're just going to end up in your own flesh trying to make something happen. And every time you do that, you get more and more and more frustrated because now you're raising your expectation level and you're failing and you'll quit. Number four, have a servant's heart. Have a servant's heart. Why am I doing this? Because I want to serve. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to serve. You have to have a servant's heart. Number five, have a team attitude. You're part of the body. You're part of the team. Don't isolate yourself. Don't try to do these things all by yourself. Don't sit off here and just be a lone ranger Christian. You're part of the family, part of the body, part of the team. And lastly, be motivated by love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Be motivated by love. Paul says love never fails. Amen? So we have a summary right there. Hopefully, if you've had questions, those have answered your questions. If not, talk to me later. I'll try to answer your question, okay? If you're going to be taking my class, we're going to have a much more detailed uh, time in my class about spiritual gifts. I'm going to include those in my class, Discover Hope. So we want you to discover your gifts in that, opportunity, in that environment also. So let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, your grace to us and your provision. We thank you not only for salvation, but for the gifts you've given us. We thank you that you've placed us in your body. We thank you for the ministries. Lord, the privilege of participating with you in what you're doing in this world. Use us, O Lord. Cause us to stir up those gifts and not let them lie dormant. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, pronounce a blessing.